As always, it's so good to be with you. You know what my next question is, don't you? How are we doing, church? <laughs> I hope so. I am really enjoying all these ruby-throated hummingbirds that are coming to the feeders now. See, they're feeding, they're uh, getting ready. They're going to be going south. It was 55 degrees this morning. It was jacket weather this morning. So they know that too, and they're going to be heading south soon. Well, we are now in week two of our Eucharistic revival. And I want you to remember this. The homilies that are presented are considered to be supplements to the study on the Eucharist that is found on the formed website. That study is called Presence. And you can look in your bulletin and find all the details on how you can access it. Well, the Eucharist. Any study of the Eucharist has to include two things. It's not optional. One is the Lord's Supper. The second is the Holy Mass. You can't separate the two. Now, what we did last week was we established the great sense of joy that's always prevalent in the Holy Mass. The Holy Mass is all about celebration. It is. Everything about it has written over it. Celebration. Cel celebrating God. That's what we're doing. Praising God. What's so great? Well, God's great in many ways. But here's what's really great. God has, an, has established a covenant of eternal friendship with you. You can be a friend of God. Think about that. And, and I like how Paul said it. He said, rejoice, rejoice, church, because God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. Now, a core component of, in, of establishing any covenant is the instituting of the covenant or the sealing of the covenant. Or why is that important? Well, it's important because once that's done, it's binding. You know, we call that legal and binding. Well, it's binding. You agree to the terms of the covenant at that point. And uh, we see a prefiguring, really, of the, uh, the sealing of this covenant as early as the time of Moses, which is several hundred years prior to the time of Jesus. And we see it symbolized in what's called the Lamb. The Lamb. The first place we see it is on the night of the Passover. The Lamb is essential on the night of Passover. Read it. If you want... If you want the God to, you know, if you want the angel of death to pass over you, the lamb is really important. And then you fast forward it a little farther uh, to when they are, God's establishing his new covenant with them, then we find what's called the day of atonement. You know what's important on the day of atonement? The lamb. There has to be two lambs, actually. There has to be two lambs on the day of atonement. And then if you fast forward it really fast, and you go to when Jesus is literally walking on the earth, and he's, uh, John the Baptist sees him coming to the Jordan River to be baptized. What does John say about the lamb? Huh? As he sees Jesus. He says, it's something that we'll do at Mass today, when the elements are held up. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There it is. The Lamb. That is the seal of the covenant. It's so important. The body and blood of Jesus is what we're talking about. The shedding of his blood. Now, that's great cause for celebration. I mean, really, you can't, there's nothing greater than to be restored and renewed to God. I can't think of anything. 
uh, but unfortunately today our focus is shifting to what I call a lesser question. Although this lesser question is of extreme importance, don't get me wrong, it's, 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 a, it's an extremely important question. You know what that question is? And it has to do with the Eucharist? Well, it's this, people asking it today. Is the covenant sealed by the real presence of Jesus? As after the, after the wine and the bread are consecrated, is it the body, the blood, the soul and divinity of Jesus? The real presence of it. That's the question that's being asked today. And I must say, according to recent surveys, the majority of Catholics don't believe that it is. They say no. They say it's a symbol. It's not real. It couldn't be, it couldn't be real. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Well, since our hearts and our minds seem to be focused more on the lesser question today, uh, we, need to, we need to take a, what you would call a faith and reason look at it. How do we understand the real presence of Jesus through the lens of faith and through the lens of, of uh, reason? For us to be able to answer that question, we once again have to go back. Where we got to go back if you want to talk about the Eucharist? Holy Thursday and the Holy Mass. You can't, you can't separate the Eucharist from, from those uh, two significant events. But what do we do at the Holy Mass? Well, we're going to do it in just a few minutes. I want you to be mindful of it today, and you'll see, well, that's right. We're doing exactly what he said we were doing, isn't it? Uh, what we do at the Holy Mass, I'm going, to, it's in a, I'm going to share it with you in a very simplistic way, because words cannot describe what's about to take place here in a few minutes. But in simplistic terms, it would be called remembering and reenacting. We remember what Jesus did on Holy Thursday at the Lord's Supper, and we reenact it. Um, the technical terms are, I, can, I couldn't even pronounce them until I went to seminary, uh, anemnesis, epiclesis, and transubstantiation. Uh, they, they do a much better job as opposed to remembering and reenacting. But here's the important thing. Here's the important thing, and it's important to study it. But here's the important thing. When we remember at the Holy Mass, as we're going to in a minute, when we reenact the most holiest of moments, ordinary bread and wine become the real presence of Jesus. Folks, it's him. It's him. That's what it is. Well, now, how do we, how do we, how, how is this possible? You know, how is this possible? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons, three as a matter of fact, why it's possible. Very valid reasons. Churches uh, use these reasons for 2,000 years now. It's nothing new. First one is this. God has revealed his mighty creative power and his wondrous love to us in many ways because he is all-loving, all-powerful, and all-knowing. That's who God is, and God is that in a great way. Now, if, if, if we get to the point we think that, man, it's just too fantastic. It's just too, there's no way that, that this could really become the real presence of Jesus. Then we have to throw out a lot of other things in our faith if we can't believe in that. We are, church, we are a people of miracles. I mean, we are, really. 
We are a people of miracles. If we can't believe that God's creative power and love is able to transform bread and wine into the literal presence of Jesus, then we need to throw out what? Other wonders, like the creation of the universe. Here's a good one. What about turning dust into flesh? You ever tried to do that? That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? What about the Virgin Mary? That one's totally incomprehensible, isn't it? What about angels? What about raising the dead? What about turning stones into bread? Even Satan knew Jesus when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He said, you can turn stones into bread. See, even he knew that. You know, he could do that, you know. Uh, for sure, what about taking a couple of loaves and fishes and multiplying it into thousands? Wouldn't that be great for a fish fry? I was thinking about that. Yeah, that'd be good, Lord. Turn this into thousands of pieces here. Here's another one. Uh, these are mind-boggling. The receiving of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the second coming of Jesus, and the new heavenly city that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you see how we're a people of miracles? I mean, why couldn't we believe in that? I mean, that make, to me, it makes no sense. The second thing that shows that it's possible is that Jesus' body is a glorified body. Now, this is very important because Jesus' glorified body, when he came out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, it was a glorified body, one that had been resurrected literally by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it had new dimensions to it. We don't have a glorified body yet. We will, but we don't have it yet. And so we don't have anything really to sort of put our arms around to understand what a glorified body can do, you know, how it can do things that we can't do here on earth in ourselves. So um, let me give you a couple examples. These come out of the scriptures. The only person that's had a glorified body is Jesus. So let's look at some of the things that Jesus did. First thing he did on resurrection or what did he do? He walked out of the tomb through the stone. When, when Jesus, when he came out of the tomb, he walked through the stone that was covering the entrance. He didn't walk, he didn't open the door. See, I like how the gospel reader is, the writer, because what he does is he says that after Jesus walks through the stone, then the angel comes and rolls the stone back so that people like you and me can walk in there. See, he has another dimension. And that evening, we see that dimension fulfilled again. He's at the door where the, where the disciples are. They're locked inside the house for fear. What does he do? He knocks on the door and he says, will you let me in? No, that's not what he does. What does he do? He walks through the door, you know. Now, I, I, sometimes I walk, try to walk through a door. But you know what? Every time I've done it so far, I bang my head. I can't get no farther than the door. He walked through the door. See, that's the new dimension. Here's another wonderful dimension. We see it with Jesus when he's talking to the disciples on the way to Emmaus. And when they sit down to celebrate the supper of the Lord, after he blesses the elements of, of uh, you know, into the body and blood of Jesus, what does he do? He's gone. You ever disappeared? Sometimes you probably feel you like you'd like to. Boy, I wish I could disappear right now. You know, I'd have to be here. But uh, 
You know, Jesus could do that. He could disappear. He could reappear. Those are new dimensions. Why can we not believe that this can't be the presence of Jesus? Well, it makes no sense. The third thing has to do, this is more of a reasoning kind of thing. We call this Eucharistic miracles. Have you heard of Eucharistic miracles? See, they're real. They're real. Um, now, what, this is really important. You've got to understand this. What we experience at the Holy Mass is what's called the ordinary way in which Jesus reveals his presence. This is the ordinary way. But there's also what's called the extraordinary way, which Jesus reveals himself to us. And it's in that extraordinary way that we call that the Eucharistic miracles. And boy, there's some good ones. The church is, uh, boy, when it comes to scrutinizing, is this a miracle or not, it's, it's pretty intense. It's real intense, actually. You're talking about scrutiny. Man, they really do it. But over the course of a couple of thousand years, the church, oh, there are many more miracles that have taken place. The church has verified at least 100, at least 100 of these miracles. Things that it's an extraordinary way of seeing the real presence of Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. St. Catherine of Siena, wonderful saint of God. Here's a Eucharistic miracle. She received the Eucharist every day of her life in the convent. The, the miracle is that's all she ate. That's all she drank for seven years. Could you, you know, you think about what you're about to receive. Could you live on that once a day for seven years? Well, no. That's, well, that's called the Eucharistic miracle. And we think about St. Francis of, uh, of Assisi, you know, or St. Clair of Assisi. Uh, she was in the convent, and there was an army that was approaching the convent because they were going to come in, they were going to destroy the convent and kill all the nuns. What does she do? She goes and gets her uh, AK-47. <laughs> no, what if she gets something bigger than that? She goes into the chapel and she gets a monstrous and puts a consecrated host in it. She goes to the door, she opens it up to the gate, to the, and she puts it right in their face and she starts crying. Well, what'd they do? Well, they just tore down the door and went in and killed. No, that's not what, what'd they do? They got scared half to death and they hightailed it out of there. That's a miracle. Isn't that a miracle? <laughs> you know. That's the power of the Eucharist. And I think the most prevalent way of Eucharistic miracles is when, is this. It's when the consecrated host does turn into, the, into literal human flesh and blood. It does. It takes on the form of flesh and blood. It happens, folks, it happens. And we're very fortunate today, thanks to science, because we now have many tools at our disposal to scrutinize Eucharistic miracles. We need to do that, you know. Uh, out of that 100 miracles, here's something interesting. At least three of them have been verified by the church to be miracles since the year 2000. Isn't that good? I think that's powerful, you know. What do they do? Well, they take a piece of the host, the consecrated host, they take it to a lab, they don't tell them what it is or where it's coming from, and they say, tell me what this is. 
Will you tell me what this is? Well, would you like to know what it is? You want to know the scientific analysis because they've written it up. You can find it on the internet. Here it is. They didn't know what they were looking at. The blood type is AB, which is the same blood type as what you find on the Shroud of Turin. You know the Shroud of Turin, don't you? White blood cells, red blood cells, and hemoglobin are present meaning it's alive. And the flesh itself is called human myocardium tissue of the left ventricle of the heart that's been distressed. Can you think of Jesus' heart when it was distressed, when they pierced it with the spear? Yeah. It's real. It's scientifically proven. Now, why do we need Eucharistic miracle. That's my question. All I need is that. When I look, I say, that's enough. I don't need anything. Well, I'm, not everybody's like me. See, Eucharistic miracles, they are of particular importance, especially for young people today, because young people have been fattened so long on the scientific method and starved of matters of faith that when it comes to looking at what they believe, because we believe in faith and reason, it becomes what? It becomes heavy and it becomes lopsided. <laughs> heavy on the scientific part. You know, we got, it's sort of like what, uh, you know, the prime example is Thomas. You remember Thomas, you know? Uh, on the night Jesus appeared the first time, he wasn't there. And the disciples said, well, Jesus was here. He said, well, I don't believe it. He said, I won't believe it until I can touch his hands and his side. Well, a week later, Jesus shows up. You know, Jesus is wonderful. Isn't he? I love Jesus. He knew what Thomas needed before Thomas even asked. He said, Thomas, as soon as he saw him, he had come here. And that, that's just like Jesus, isn't it? He said, touch my hands. Touch the nail where the nail marks are. Touch where I was pierced in my... What did Thomas do? He fell to his knees and he said... My Lord and my God. See, Thomas needed a little boost. James says we walk by faith and not by sight. But sometimes we need to walk by faith and we need to walk by sight. Don't we? We need a little boost, particularly in our world today. These are called miracles on top of miracles. And remember this. Church is not afraid of signs. Some people say they are. I, I don't understand that. Church embraces science. Why would church embrace science? Because God created science. It all originated in him. There's no conflict. There's no tension there. What we have to do is understand and apply it. There's no conflict or tension there. Well, as somebody that holds degrees in both theology and engineering, which is quite different, um, so whether it be by faith or by reason, to me, the only thing that doesn't make sense is to deny the real presence of Jesus. If you deny it, that doesn't make sense to me because our faith and reason itself says to us, it's him, it's him, it's him. God bless you.